I'm impressed by those who, being individuals, join together at a boot camp. And as they go into the boot camp, they are individuals in the way they live their lives. And when they come out of boot camp, they are marching in sync. They have learned to work together as one through many grueling tasks and challenges. And maybe there were certain obstacles that they realized during boot camp that they could not complete on their own. They needed other people in order to accomplish those tasks or those obstacles. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the coming together and and working as one, the teamwork. But speaking of team, I also appreciate this time of the year called March Madness. Although I don't watch a lot of basketball on TV, when it gets to March, I feel like it is my obligation uh, to watch ball for some reason. And I love it when it gets to the Sweet 16 and then the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and then the final game. And maybe it's with seconds uh, drawing to a close of a ball game that a team is marching up the court. And they have the ball in their possession, and they're not going to give the ball over. They're going to save it for the last shot because they need to win the ball game, whether the game is tied or they're down by one or two. And it's a thing of beauty when there's the first pass and then the second pass and the third pass, all to set up the fourth and maybe fifth pass to the guy who's wide open in the corner, who then squares up to the basket and shoots, and it's nothing but that game over, headed to the next round. That's a thing of beauty. It's teamwork. It's practice. There's been a lot put into that one play that it may win them the ball game. Uh, Or whether it's a a band at halftime. I enjoy halftime entertainment. Uh, Locally, these bands are uh, exceptional. They're talent. Uh, But I can think of nothing more impressive than the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Their band, if you've seen this at halftime, they join together, they put their instruments down, and they form an object. And all of a sudden... It may be something like Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk. Now, doing the moonwalk is hard enough, I know by personal experience. But to form together as a band of 200 maybe or so, to form an object on the field and to appear as if you're moonwalking across the field, that's a thing of beauty. I respect that. I respect that. There's so many different ways of teamwork, people coming together, that when we see it, we appreciate it. But there's nothing more, nothing greater, which I show my appreciation for, than the church, the body of Christ. He's brought us together as as one people, knowing that we come from many different walks of life. And in this room, we're very different from each other. We have different backgrounds. We have different preferences, likes, dislikes, ways that we live our lives. We can even look to each other and say, I probably wouldn't live my life that way, or I wouldn't make that decision, or I wouldn't raise my kids that way, or here's how I'd raise my kids, or, or whatever it may be. We're all very different, but yet we come together and we work as one. And the only way that that's possible is because of Jesus. And Jesus is the head, and, and he is the only head of the body. None of us can be the head of the body but Christ. So he sees for us, he leads us, he guides us as the body of Christ. And we see a picture of this here in this passage today, although Paul doesn't refer to himself and to Peter and the others as the body of Christ, they are sharing together in the gospel. And that is important for all of us to understand today. So we ask the question, how do we share in the gospel together? And hopefully by the end of this, we'll we'll have our 
answer. But look with me at the first point in answering this question today of how do we share in the gospel together. Number one, we share in the gospel uh, through the accountability. So we share in the accountability of the gospel. Verses 1 and 2. Read with me again. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So we see several things here. The first thing is that Paul continues on with his independence from the other apostles. Now, right off the bat, you say, hey, I thought we were talking about being together. Yes, exactly. But right before this, Paul was mentioning how he is not preaching a man-centered gospel. It's not about man, but it's about what God has worked in him and through him and continuing to do. That's the gospel that he preaches. And so 14 years since following Christ, he now goes to Jerusalem to meet with the other apostles. Now, before this, in Galatians 1.11, we read that, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He follows that up in verse 16 and 17. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and then again to Damascus. And we said that during that time in Arabia and then to Damascus, about a three-year period, was very much like the time that Jesus being here on earth that he spent with the disciples, that he spent that time with Paul, although not here on this earth, but speaking to him, giving him revelation. So Paul received the gospel from Jesus Christ. He didn't receive it from the other apostles. He didn't receive it from anyone else. He received it directly from Jesus. That's why when we read the New Testament, we don't go, oh, these are Paul's writings, and then this is Jesus talking. No, it's one and the same. One and the same. And so Paul now shifts from his independence of, from the apostles to his dependence upon the apostles for the accountability in the gospel. He returns to Jerusalem to lay out before the apostles his understanding of the gospel. Now, for us today, this is very important, and we're going to be encouraged by this passage because this is what we see that in 14 years of him following Jesus, he returns to Jerusalem, and as he gives an account of what the gospel is, and he lays it out, the apostles are going to say, yes, we agree. That is the gospel. So the same ones who were with Jesus when Jesus was on this earth, and they were taught what is the gospel through Jesus, is the same one, Paul, who spent time with Jesus for three years, after becoming a follower of Christ, and through those 14 years, and when they're separated by geographical location, when they come together, their message is the same. That's good. That's comforting. That would be like brothers coming to us from Australia or Africa. They say, we want to come worship with you at Perimeter Road, and when they hear us preach, they go, amen, that is the gospel. That is what we preach in our land. And we would say, amen, to God be the glory. They're preaching the same message. And in this, he takes Titus along with him. And Titus was his travel companion, and he was a test model of a Gentile Christian who had not received circumcision. Now, this was the stumbling block for the Jews, circumcision. We see that in Scripture. And here is Titus, who proclaims to be a follower of Jesus, who has not received a physical sign of being a Christian. 
but it's something that's been done inwardly. And so Paul brings him along so he can bear testimony. Titus is a proof of being a follower of Christ, but also he's proof of Paul's discipleship, that he has passed down this gospel to other people. And so when Titus stands before them, they, they hear what Titus has to say, and they're going, wow, this is one who hasn't received the physical sign, that being circumcision, but yet listen to him lay out the gospel. Here is testimony. We said a couple weeks ago, there's only one gospel, but many stories of God's grace. And here, Titus is given that testimony of God's grace in his life. Do you have a Titus in your life? that others can look to and say, wow, look at the discipleship. Look at the pouring in. Look at the investment into his life. Are there people that you are taking time and, and sharing the gospel with? But not just so that they become Christians, but those who say they are Christians, that they will grow in Christ. Do you have a Titus that's walking alongside you? That when people look at them, they go, look at the change in this guy. Look at the change in this girl. Who have you spent time with? And they come along and say, well, you know, I've... I've been there with Brian, and we've been discussing the gospel together. And I'm learning, and I'm, I'm growing. They're test models to be uh, disciples on display. Do you have a Titus? Paul had a Titus. He puts him on display, and they rejoice together. Now, why did he go up? He says, I went up because of a revelation in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, as I read Paul's letters, I'm pretty convinced that Paul ran track in high school. What do you think? So many times he mentions this race, running and fighting like a boxer. He's a sports guy. I relate. I appreciate that. And he says, you know what? I want to make sure that I was not running in vain. I want to make sure that I was not just beating the air. I want to make sure that what I was communicating what I was living out, what I was being persecuted for, was worth it. Because if he's not preaching Christ, then he's preaching another message. And if it's not about Christ, then it is about Satan. It is about sin. It is for man's glory. It's one or the other. You can't preach a good, solid message that people can go, oh, I can really grow on that if Christ is not the focus. And so he wanted to make sure that what he is preaching was right, but not only because he was feeling insecure, but because he needed it. We all need accountability in the gospel. We all need to make sure that as we're growing and we're learning, that we're staying centered on Christ. But also that when he goes there, that he can hear from Peter and James and John that they're preaching the same gospel message. So Paul needed accountability then, like we need accountability today. Here's what we see with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works into us a humble attitude that desires biblical accuracy, not a haughty arrogance that boasts of biblical understanding. You want to see a growing disciple? They're humble. They're grateful for the gospel. They're not puffed up. They're not proud. They're not talking about how much they know. They're sharing what they know, but they do so with a humble attitude. This is what the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. And so he says, to make sure our efforts in preaching the gospel are not empty, meaning void of producing real spiritual fruit for the glory of God. So in this context, Paul is preaching grace to the Gentiles. And Peter and James and John, they are preaching Christ to the Jews. 
And so we see grace, not law. Christ, not circumcision. And as they come together, this is affirmed. We'll see in just a moment. So Paul took a journey up from Antioch to Jerusalem to share in this accountability and meeting privately with the apostles and in the synagogues as they affirmed this gospel. So as we see this in the passage today, it leads us to ask this question. How do we share in the accountability of the gospel today? Paul found it necessary that he would go from Antioch to Jerusalem to spend that time. And Paul traveled to many different places. But what about us today? How do we share in the accountability of the gospel? Well, number one, you attending here today is a start. Or maybe you being here today is a continuation of what you've been doing. So if you're here today and it's been a while since you've been here, man, I'm glad you're here. I am so glad that you're here. And I hope you would see that this is a start or can be a continuation in your life to being held accountable. And let me just confess that as a member of the church, we're not always good at this. We're not, this isn't always our strong point, but we want it to be. That we can encourage one another and challenge one another and make sure that when we preach the gospel, you're measuring it up and saying, is Brian preaching the gospel? Is Joby preaching the gospel? Is Will preaching the gospel? And so on. Are we preaching the gospel? Is this what God's word says? And we're measuring that so that we live our lives by this. That's accountability. Uh, number two, it could be in a small group Bible study. And many of you are in a small group Bible study. You, you were at the 9 o'clock hour uh, this morning, or you will be tonight at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, somewhere around that time. And that's great. You get in a smaller group, and you continue to study God's Word, and you're, you're able to hear from each other, talk to one another. And as you hear each other talk, you can hear whether you are having an understanding of the gospel or not. And so as that's taking place, you have accountability. Maybe it's a one-on-one -on -one that breaks off from that, that you meet with somebody weekly, that you read and study the Scripture. Do you have that person that you can meet with one-on-one -on -one or in a small group? We all need it. I need it. You need it. This is a way that we can hold each other accountable. Or number three, develop a, a faithful dependency in studying and praying God's Word. And that's all of us. If today's the only day that you receive God's Word, you're, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow. I, I hope you do hear the Word today, and I hope you grow from the Word today, but I hope that you go home, and that you go back and you read over the passage. And I hope that maybe as a family, if you, if you have a family, that sometime during the week, maybe you draw together and you just read Scripture together. You pray together. And that on your own, that you would enjoy, that we truly enjoy just the time that's set aside, that literally, uh, as we talk about our schedules, I mean, we're just going to have to be intentional. We're just going to have to carve out time. That you sit down and you read the Word. And then you stop and you just pause and you think about the Word. What does God's Word say? And a time that you can pray to Him and, and grow in your communion with God. That's another way in which we're held accountable to the gospel. Number four, it's going to one another in love and grace to address actions that are not in accord with Scripture. Now, this is hard. This is hard. This is where some people say, I'm going to check out, man. If that's what you guys are about, I'm not going to be here. I can somewhat get that. If you're coming from a background where this was abused, um, where people didn't do this in love, but if you step out of line or if I step out of line, I want you to come to me in grace, in love, and say, Brian, what I'm seeing in your life right now is not measuring up to what God's Word says. Let's talk about this. Let's pray together in this. But it can be abused when we get a haughty attitude, when we come at it from this angle, looking down on somebody, thinking that we have this thing figured out and they don't. Hey, listen to me. I have the authority here, and you're lacking. No, that's not, that's not how we approach this. We come together like this. We look to one another eye to eye, and we join together as the church, and we say, hey, man, let me pray for you in this. One thing I've noticed in your life that's lacking or that I used to see that I don't see anymore. Can we be so bold in that? Can we have that type of accountability here at Perimeter Road? 
That's a fourth way. And then number five is for those who are sensing a call to preach or to teach or to lead in, in worship. There are these things called seminaries. They're not cemeteries. Uh, seminaries, a place where you can go and learn. And you may ask the question, do I really need to go to seminary in order to be a pastor? No, you don't. You don't. Because Paul didn't go to seminary, but, I mean, he did hang out with Jesus, so <laughs> that was a privilege. Um, but seminary is a great place for you to go. A Bible college um, that's centered on God's Word, actually. And that you can go and you can learn and you can listen to men and, and, and women also who have been trained to, to teach and to equip so that you may understand God's Word and know how to do ministry, to think about things that you haven't thought about before, to be challenged in areas where you're weak. And so I don't encourage you to, our men and women in this room, if you sense the calling to, to go and do missions or to preach the Word, continue to pray about seminary. And you may think, you know what? I don't have time for that. Or that's going to disrupt my life. It may disrupt your life, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good for your growth and how God's going to use you in the future. So I encourage you to pray in that area. That's just another one. There, there are multiple things, church, that we could talk about of how we see accountability, but I hope a few of these help you today. So number one, we see that we share in the accountability of the gospel. Number two, we share in the preservation of the gospel. Look at verse three. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery to whom or to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you so we ask this question why must we be held accountable I mean after all shouldn't our religion be kept private um, there's a big problem with that because the Bible doesn't support it we're not to keep our religion private. We're not to have this relationship with Jesus and tell no one about Christ. The Bible does not support that behavior. That is not the commands of Christ. No, we are to go and make disciples. And so in this action, we need accountability. And so we need the accountability so we do not get dislocated or out of joint from the body of Christ. Because we're all members of the body of Christ, those who have repented and put their faith and trust in Christ. And also so that you can enjoy the life of holiness that the gospel calls us towards. Yeah, that's right. I said enjoy holiness. Because a lot of times we hear holiness and we think restrictions, restrictions, restrictions. No, holiness means freedom. It's freedom to live. It's freedom to live how you were created to live, to be a new creation. The things that used to hold you captive no longer hold you captive. So when you follow through in holiness, you're living a life pleasing and honoring to God through Christ. That's freedom. It's not bondage. So maybe if you sense that, or today you feel that holiness is bondage, I hope that your heart has changed on that today. And you'll see that you desiring holiness and persevering in righteousness is a joy. It's a privilege. But most importantly, why do we need accountability? So that, and this is what Paul says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for others. It just means we stay salty. That we're salty creatures. What do you mean salty creatures? Well, we see in Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
Now, before we go down a road that we're not intended to go down today, and you say, okay, if I lose my saltiness, then what does that mean? If I lost something? He's talking about salt, okay? He's giving an explanation of salt. If salt loses its taste, then you would no longer use it for preservation. But for us, we are the salt of the earth. We are to go forth and proclaim the good news. We are to teach people what God's Word says, which means we need to be familiar with God's Word so we'll know what to teach others. But we are the salt for preservation. Why? What's the need for preservation? Because there will be a new heaven and a new earth one day. We will not always live on this earth. And before that happens, Christ will return. So Christ is returning soon. And while we're waiting, we're in preservation mode. We continue in our sanctification, our growth in Jesus, and our separation from sin. And we're teaching others about Jesus daily. So stay salty. That's why we need accountability. And this is good news for the Galatians. When they hear this, as Paul's writing to them, and he's speaking of these things, they're saying, hey, Titus, he wasn't forced to be circumcised. And if he was, this would be in direct conflict with the freedom of the gospel that the Galatians so freely enjoyed. But see, there's an attack on the churches in Galatia. They're being told that they must follow through with the law. And this is why Paul is writing to them. This is why he's giving an account of what happened before. And so this is good news as they hear that, and it's good news for us today that we can rely solely on the works of Jesus Christ for our salvation. But what we see is that false brothers, in the time that he was visiting James and Peter and John, false brothers came in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And this is a freedom that these false teachers did not understand. Why didn't they understand it? Because they lived by law. They didn't understand the joy of holiness in Christ. All they knew was the slavery of self-righteous living apart from Christ. And if we're not careful, we too can confuse this for holiness. We can think, I've got to dress a certain way. I've got to talk a certain way. I've got to behave a certain way. I have to present my life a certain way before certain people. Not all people. Some people I'll let in, and they can see what I really look like. But for most people, I'm going to present this facade here where they think, oh, oh, you're, you're holy. That will wear you out. That will wear you down. That will lead to death. No, holiness in Christ. This is something that they didn't know of, but they come and they challenge Paul. But we see this account in Acts 15. If you want to turn there, or maybe we'll have that up on the screen, but Acts 15, starting in verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, so a lot of debate going on, this was no easy matter. After much debate, Paul stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But verse 11, but we believe we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. (laughs) Isn't this great? Peter stands up and he gives a defense for Peter, and for Titus, and for Barnabas. And he says, why are we asking Titus? 
to bear something that we can't bear. We can't live by law. We can't live by righteous rules and regulations on our own. We fail in this. We all fall short of the glory of God. He proclaims Christ. Paul goes on to say to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Did you catch that? We. Paul's not speaking of just himself. He's speaking of a body of believers who work together in this difficult time of debate to proclaim Christ. And he says, we. They were sharing in the gospel together. Why? For the preservation of the gospel. That the gospel would not be lost. It was up to them. They saw it was up to them to carry out this good news, to defend the gospel. May we be careful, church, not to sit back and go, oh, somebody else will take care of the defense of the gospel. No, you take it upon yourself to defend the gospel. Preach the gospel in this culture, in this place where you live. And this is the beautiful picture of the church boldly proclaiming and remaining in the gospel truth. They were having a Romans 1.16 moment, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew and also for the Gentile. Even for one like Titus, being a Gentile, who has no need for physical circumcision when he has already received the circumcision of the heart. That's why nothing physical had to be done. That's why our works do not impress God. You may be thinking today, okay, I'm going to walk out of here. After hearing what I'm hearing today, I'm going to walk out of here, I'm going to do better. You missed it. You've missed it if that's what you're hearing. No, you need to rest in Christ's good works, which leads you to then do better. There's a difference. It's understanding the circumcision of the heart, something that's inward, not outward, internal, not external. Romans 2.29, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What was the result of this? They were, had been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power for work of God who raised him from the dead. There's resurrection of the circumcision done in the heart have you received a change in your heart? Is your heart for God or is it for you? Is it for man? Is it for Satan? Who is your heart for? He's saying that's what matters, not the external things, but what's internal will then impact what is external. This heart change brings about life change. Where they can say, take notice of him. Look at Titus. Hear him speak. He is a new creation in Christ Jesus. His testimony encourages us to persevere in the preservation of the gospel. So like Titus, can you stand as a test model of the grace of God redeeming sinful man? Are you that test model at work? Are you that test model at home? Wow, that's where it gets to, at home? In your community, do your neighbors know it? Does your community group know it? Are you a test model for those around you to encourage them in the preservation of the gospel? Because the gospel produces a life change in the believer who then preserves the gospel in the daily life of holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we share in the preservation of the gospel for this sake. 
And then number three, we share in the affirmation of the gospel. Um, just highlighting what we see in verses six through nine for sake of time. He says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Now, is Paul having a selfish attitude here? Is he being critical of Peter uh, and, and James and John? Is he speaking in a jealous undertone? No, not at all. It's the opposite because Paul is jealous for Christ, his Redeemer. And so because he's jealous for Christ and making him known, it's leading him not to be in awe stricken by man, even redeemed man. And may that be the same for our lives. May we be jealous for God, for his name's sake, and not for any other man's attention. And this was what Paul was saying. He said, hey, I was not blown away by their appearance or by being with them. I didn't see them as superstar Christians. No, I met with them, and what we had in common was Christ Jesus. He's most important. And he says, then I extended the right hand of fellowship. Uh, it was extended to us, to Barnabas and Paul, when grace was perceived in the confirmation of the gospel. Now, we talk about the extension of right hand of fellowship, and when I was growing up in church, uh, we would say, hey, extend to the person next to you the right hand of, of Christian fellowship. And I'm going, where, where did that come from? You know, why do they speak of that term? What it means is that as you extend that right hand, you're giving affirmation. And so when Paul and Peter shook hands, they're saying we're together in the gospel. When people join Perimeter Road Baptist Church, we bring them up here and we announce them before you and you affirm, you, amen, amen, yeah, yeah, and you come up. And, and when you come up, you, you may extend that right hand of fellowship or, or you give them a hug. But wh what are you saying? Hey, I affirm this. We're glad you're here. We're together in the gospel. That's what it means. Church membership isn't about, hey, just coming whenever you want to come, guys. Just kind of participating as much as you want to participate. No, it means you're a part. You're held accountable to these things. We do this together. Paul didn't go to Peter and say, hey, man, that's good that you believe in the gospel, so just whenever it's convenient for you, why don't you go live it out? Why don't you go tell people about Jesus? <laughs> they were shaking hands saying, okay, I got the Jews, you got the Gentiles. This is who we've been called to. Let's go. Let's go live out our calling. They gave each other this affirmation. We noticed this a, a couple of weeks ago, Galatians 1, 15 and 16, that when you are saved, you're called to something. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. We are saved and called to action. Every one of us who proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, you're saved and called to action. You're called to a people, to go reach a people. You may reach people that I don't reach. I was talking to some brothers in Christ this week saying, I know that you can be influential to some people in this town that I have no influence upon. Go do it. You go reach people that I can't reach, and I'm going to strive to reach people that you may not be able to reach. That's what Paul and Peter are saying. They're extending that right hand and saying, we agree in the gospel, man. Let's go reach people. Let's go reach people. They embrace one another's callings. Can we embrace one another's callings in this room? Can we embrace that you're going to have some victories that I'm not? You're going to have success in areas where I'm not. You're going to have people respond to the gospel, whereas if I tried that, it wouldn't happen. I embrace that. I say praise be to God. I embrace the growth in your ministries, and I embrace the growth in other local churches. Amen? 
That went loud enough. Amen? Yeah, see, that, that ought to be our heart too. Because I do. I, I pray for our local churches. Not just for people who attend Perimeter Road Baptist Church, but the church in Valdosta. I want them to grow. I want them to preach the gospel, and I want them to pack their places out. I want there to be true conversion, true disciple-making, that we reach the lost. Because let me tell you something. The 350 that are here can't reach everyone. We can reach a lot, but we can't reach everyone. And the, the 800 that may be over there, or the 1,000 or 1,500 that may be over there on a good Sunday, or the 70 over here can't reach everyone. We rejoice together. We embrace one another's callings. We may have different styles of worship. We may have different styles of preaching. Some wear, may wear suit and tie, and they look good in their suit and tie, but I, I think I look all right in my shirt today. We, we have different callings, different styles, different approaches, but we make it about the gospel. Let's pray for one another. Let's, let's celebrate. If you're at work and your co-worker's telling you how great things are going at church, and all of a sudden that jealousy gets going up and say, man, we ain't seeing that at, at Perimeter Road. Man, when are we going to see that at Perimeter Road? Let's them say, man, praise God, that's awesome. I'm going to pray that that continues. That's the church. That's the church. And aren't you grateful that the church extends beyond these walls? Aren't you grateful that this isn't all there is to the church? I think it's a beautiful part of the church, but it's not all. And Peter and Paul thought the same of each other. And so they, they were sharing in the affirmation of the gospel. And finally, which just seems out of left field, and I'm going to cover this briefly. I wish we had more time to do it, but here it is. We share in the ministry of the gospel. Verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now all of a sudden he starts speaking of the poor. They were talking about defending the gospel. Not about circumcision. And then here it is about the poor. Hey, last thing. Hey, Paul, before you go, back to Antioch. Hey, the poor. Remember the poor? Hey, man, I got you. I'm all about the poor. I'm all about the poor. Why do they mention this? I think why they mention this is because if we're grounded in the gospel, it will be seen in how we treat others. That's the evidence. It's not just how you speak. It's how you act towards other people. And not just towards the people who are influential, because that's easy. We naturally want to do that. We naturally want to raise. We naturally want to get in with the next one up. But what about the person who's below us? Or so culture says they are. So our way of thinking says they are. Can you minister to the poor? Do you minister to the poor? Do you care about the poor? Paul says, man, that, <laughs> that's the very thing I was eager to do. Whether Jew or Gentile, remember the poor. No matter what's happening in your life, remember the poor. Remembering the poor is not just for a person who has a calling to minister to those who are on the streets or a calling to those who may come to the food bank. No, we all remember the poor. All of us. And it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. But it doesn't seem inconvenient when we stop what we do for someone who may be influential. But what about those who have nothing to offer you, but you have everything to offer them? The church of all people should relate well to the poor. And here's why. For although you may have never gone a day without food or hot food and a comfortable bed to lay down in, or you've never lived on the street with a cardboard cutout to call home, 
If you have received salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then you have an understanding of poverty. It's spiritual poverty. It's being separated from the great love of God to uh, be left on your own to conquer sin. Sin which corrupts through its lust and infatuations. Relating to the famous country song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Lacking the comforts of the peace and power of Christ while living in fearful worry of what the next day may hold, or squandering your days in laziness and apathy because you lack the strength to persevere through life's greatest challenges. Enslaved to the passions of the flesh that deceitfully promise satisfaction and happiness, only to again and again be left hungering for more as time passes you quickly by, and you're left with that constant nagging thought. Isn't there more to this life? And what happens when I die? But then, through the richness of God's grace and mercy, you were saved as the power of the Holy Spirit came upon you and sealed you into the day of redemption. You received the fullness of Christ, leaving you lacking in no good thing, filling in you a desire to seek those things that are good and glorifying to God while possessing a godly fear of him. That's being rich in Christ. Psalm 34, 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Philippians 4:19 and my God will supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. If we believe in the gospel, knowing that we were spiritually broke, but through Christ we have been made eternally rich, then we should eagerly desire to minister to the poor. So you may be asking what does it look like to be eager to minister to the poor? This spudazo in the Greek meaning earnestness, diligence. Every day, does that mean I'm giving something away? Do I always stop to the person who is in need? You use discernment through the Holy Spirit. Who's going to lead you to minister to the poor? Galatians 1.19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I wanted to point out this verse because when he was talking earlier about going to Jerusalem, he, he met with James, Paul did, and we hear James speaking in the book he wrote in James chapter 2 of ministering to the poor. Not just looking to the influential, but looking to the poor. And I advise you, if you will, write down James chapter 2, 1 through 6. Read that sometime today. So what do we learn from this last part? Is that we remember the gospel and the poor. One without the other is dangerous. Do you hear that? One without the other is dangerous. If you say you have a good understanding of the gospel, but you ignore the poor, that's dangerous because you're following in legalism. But if you have no understanding of the gospel, but you say, but that's okay because I remember the poor, then that's dangerous too because you're following through in liberalism. You may be offering them something that's temporary, but nothing that's everlasting. We need both. That's what we see today. And what is our motivation? I love how Todd Wilson says it, and we'll close with this. Our motivation is this. We should focus on gratitude rather than feeling guilty 
for what we have. Guilt is not a good or God-honoring motivation. Instead, cultivate thankfulness for all that God has given us because thankfulness paradoxically frees us from having to hang on tightly to what we have. When we take our eyes off the gift and fix them on the giver, we realize that gifts aren't the source of lasting joy. God is. Do you recognize this today? How do we share in the gospel together? One, we share in the accountability of the gospel. Two, we share in the preservation of the gospel. Three, we share in the confirmation of the gospel. And four, we share in the ministry of the gospel so that receiving these things, we may run with a purpose and not run in vain. Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you following Christ today? If you don't know Jesus, do you recognize that you're a sinner, that you've offended God with your sin, and that you're separated from him because of your sin? And if you recognize that today, do you know that the only way to him is through his son Jesus who died on the cross shedding his blood so that you could be covered, so that you could stand before God as one who is righteous? Today, put your faith and trust in him. If you believe these things, where you're seated, just say, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Call upon him and then begin to walk with Christ. I'll be standing right here. We'll have some pastors up front. You come talk to us about following Christ. You say, man, I'm not sure if I want to step out today. Hey, look, check on that card that you want to know more about following Christ. What that will indicate to us is that you want to have more gospel conversation. You want to know more about following Jesus. We'd love to meet with you. Church, let's be faithful in praying for God's work in the hearts today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we've had in your word. And Lord, as we now prepare to go from this place, first we will sing and then we will give of what you have already given to us. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that share in the gospel together. And that we don't go about this selfishly, Lord, thinking that we can do it on our own, but we today, walking away from this place, realize just how much we need to be here a part of the local church. Thank you for humbling us. Thank you for making us your own. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and for sealing us until the day of redemption. I pray this for others today in this room that do not know you. And God, I pray this for the people that we come in contact with this week as we minister to those who do not know Christ. May we be bold. May we persevere. And as we're doing it, may we know that we're not alone in this, that there are other brothers and sisters in this community doing the same because we're together in this gospel. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.